Hello and welcome to the Science of Footy podcast. As always, you're back here with your hosts Liam and Bill, back to talk some Supercoach. And finally, Bill, the buyers are behind us. Those pesky buyers, we've finally got rid of them and we can go back to the uh, normal stuff. How did the buy rounds treat you? Yeah, pretty happy to see the back of the buy rounds just because the extra thinking involved. I'm sure a lot of coaches are the same, although the buy rounds actually treated me pretty well. I managed to rise uh, about 7,000 spots and finding myself at an all-time uh, season high rank of 4,022, which is pretty nice, although I did have to trade my way to get here, so expecting a bit of a drop-off uh, to come. How about yourself? Yeah, that's a huge rise from you. I rose a little bit over the buys. I think I went from about 7,000 to 5,000. So we're both sitting up there at the 5,000 mark halfway through the season, which isn't bad, but hopefully we can make some ground on those uh, top few places over the next few weeks as we complete our teams and sort of push up towards that top 1,000 mark. Uh, buy round three was a lot better for me than buy two. On our last podcast, I was trying to find the delete team button because I took a zero and had a lot of things go wrong, but I scored over the 2,000 last week and was really happy. Had a lot of players that um, are in a lot of Supercoach teams, like Sicily on his 40, playing forward, which we'll talk about in a moment, but also Hoare with a 49, which is his low score for a very long time, where I had the extra players playing last week in the buys, so both those scores didn't count for me, and that helped me put a really big score on the board last week. Yeah, that's good news. So as you mentioned, a lot of players, a lot of coaches will be close to completing their sides now, which is great. Um, and yeah, you did mention James Sisley. Maybe we should just dive right in and talk about him because I traded him in last week and he's obviously put up the 40 playing up forward again. Um, I'm in a bit of a spot where I think I'm going to have to keep him just because I, I, you know, I've just brought him in and I don't have a lot of trades to play with. But I'm thinking that if you're a coach with a few trades up your sleeve, you'd be looking to trade him out now. What do you think? Yeah, it's very interesting because, as you said, you traded him in last week. I traded him in after his first buy, and we all thought, you know, here's a bargain here. He's, he's going to be a, a great scorer for the rest of the year. I think everyone traded him in knowing that there were some risks involved with Sicily where he's got injury history, he's got, you know, history playing forward and also history with the suspension. So we always knew that there'd be some of these scores going through. I was surprised to see him line back up in the forward line this week because I thought it was such a terrible um, play by Clarko in the first week to play him forward because he just had no impact there. Went behind the ball in the last quarter or so and had a huge impact. Sort of similar thing happened last week where he didn't really do anything in the forward line. Went back and, you know, didn't really do anything down there either. But I'm pretty sure in the press conference after the game, Clarko sort of admitted that, yeah, it's not working. So I really do wonder if that means that we'll see him down back, uh, you know, permanently from now on. I'd, I'd be hesitant trading him out because he's already lost a bit of money and he could just go back to getting those great scores in the back line. Um, but at the same time, I think this is a more important factor for the people who don't have him because we'll get to it in a moment when, when we're talking about our premium defenders. But we've got a lot of these players who are dropping and, you know, Sicily could find himself to be very cheap in a few weeks. And these people who don't have him get a couple of weeks to see where he's playing because if Clarko keeps on desisting uh, with playing him in the forward line, obviously he's a no-go, he's someone that you don't want in your team. But down back is a great scorer. So personally, I'm holding him, even if I do have the trades. I'm not sure if that's a trade-out target, but I can definitely see where you're coming from with all of these top six defender options that we do have available. I saw Rich put out a huge score on the weekend. These sort of players might overtake him in that you know top six bracket. Yeah, there's definitely a lot of options down back. I guess 
Probably the second uh, one we should probably talk about is Lucky Whitfield because you've just texted me before news that he's going to be out for another two weeks. Yeah, so I think this was a GWS injury like report video they released on on their website where they said, yeah, Whitfield's another two weeks away, which uh, to me would mean that he's going to miss the upcoming week and the next week. And the interesting thing about Whitfield is he's still quite expensive. So we all thought that he'll come back after the buyers, he'll be able to drop in price for a couple of weeks, and then we can pick him up on the cheap. But, you know, if he's not in for two weeks and then he's got to drop price for two weeks, there's only 10 weeks left, Bill. We can't be holding off on these players for so long because you know two weeks if that turns into three weeks and then he drops price for two weeks that's half of the season that's remaining that's gone to waste while I'm sitting there waiting for Whitfield so very interesting situation for coaches at the moment to try and figure out you know he's obviously still a top six when he comes back and someone you want for your super coach finals but I'm also not so sure I can wait on my upgrades just to to hope he comes back yeah, I think it's a good point because I obviously had the same plan, you know, wait for him to come back, wait for him to drop in price. But as you mentioned, it's it's a while away now. And so I went and had a look at his stats and his break-even is 154, which, you know, would normally mean we're expecting quite a large drop. But he did come back from that last injury and put up 170 straight away. Um, so it's something to think about, you know, we might not even see him having that big drop in price when he does come back, potentially you know, if he scores a 130, 140, we might only see him drop 20k or so. And then with a lower break even the next week, maybe kick it back up a notch. So he might not even be as cheap as we were expecting uh, when he does come back in. So I do think we now have to consider other options in that back line um, and weigh up how many points we might get from jumping on someone else, like say Stewart or Rich at this point in time versus the extra weeks he might be waiting on Whitfield. Yeah, I think that's the thing that super coaches are going to have a hard time from here on out sort of figuring out because you've got to know that if you're going to wait on an upgrade for one week, the difference you're going to get from that premium in your side this week above a rookie. So let's say you're playing a rookie that scores you a 60 or 70 instead of a primo's 110, 120, you're talking about 50 points. So if you're waiting a week, you want your primo that you're going to bring in to average at least, you know, about six or so higher than the player you'd bring in this week for the final, what will be nine weeks then to make that weight appropriate. So if you think that, say, waiting a week and picking up a dropping Hearn or like after Whitfield comes back, let's say he's coming back next week, waiting a week on them, you'd want them to be averaging, you know, seven higher than the rich or the steward or someone that you'd be bringing in this week to to make up those points you'd you'd sort of lose in waiting so that's a really hard thing for super coaches to juggle and i think while we're talking about whitfield i might as well read out a few of the stats from the tweet that we put out a couple of days ago on our uh, on our twitter page which is at science of footy if anyone wants to get involved we had the uh legend himself the fantasy freako follow us during the week so great to have him on the science of footy twitter bandwagon hopefully he's enjoying the content but one of the tweets we put out recently was all of the defenders the premium defenders that are dropping in price at the moment because as you said whitfield might be a few weeks away with that 154 break even and might be 500k two weeks after he comes back but we've got as we mentioned sicily who's going to be theoretically 415k in two weeks we've got hearn who's got a 161 break even expected to be 540k in two weeks hawley with a 164 break even that's going to be 497 in two weeks there's options there for people who are willing to wait for these price drops yeah absolutely i think we sort of discussed this earlier where the defenders there might be the 
best place to hold off your last upgrade. So definitely something for coaches to keep in mind, just depending on who you're playing in that rookie spot, I imagine. A lot of people now might be running uh, Logue from Fremantle at, at D6 for a little while. Um, here's an option for a trade-in this week, I guess. Yeah, I think while we're jumping over to these these cheaper players, we might as well talk a little bit about these rookies. Logue is probably the number one trade-in target. Uh, would you agree there? He scored, what, an average of 98 over his first two matches? Yeah, he definitely seems like it. Um, you know, putting up those huge scores down at Frio and... Uh, I'm, I'm looking at my own team to figure out how I might get him in. I'm not actually sure whether I will just because of structural reasons, but he does seem like the clear head and shoulders target this week. Yeah, if you can get somebody in, he is a little bit more expensive at the 160K, but if he's putting out 90s or higher on your field, you know, this is an easy replacement for one of these whore Dersma types where you could even, you know, pull one of those guys down to Logue and be improving your team as well as making cash, which is amazing. So we've got him as an option down back. We've also got Naish on the bubble for people who haven't gone on him. Uh, I do know the Tigers are getting about six best 22 players back this week. So whether or not he keeps his spot is something you're going to have to wait and see. But here's an option got nick hind in the midfield from the saints who who put out two good performances so there's a you know bargain basement price uh, midfield rookie so at the moment there are downgrade options available it's just a matter of probably team dependency for when you want to pull the trigger on these upgrades and when it is best for you to you know one down double down which means that you're you know missing a premium for a week or if you do need to keep that one up one down and don't really mind on passing on these players but personally i think logue is somebody that that is a must-have uh, if you don't have him in already. I guess the other end of that stick there is um, seems like there's a bit of a lack of options up in the forward line with the rookies at the moment. Robbie Young obviously not getting games, Gardner getting dropped. Um, it does seem like there's not too many forwards who are really pushing for selection or who are on the bubble that represent good value, which I think is probably something people need to keep in mind because it can be a bit of a worry. Yeah, definitely. You want to, you want to keep a balance, don't you? Where you don't want, you know, both of your uh, rookies on one line to be potentially, you know, not going to play for the rest of the year. You want to try and keep some scoring in there. Uh, someone to keep an eye on if you are going to downgrade in the forward line is um, Cameron from West Coast, which is Charlie Cameron's brother. He debuted and I think he put out a, a 60-odd score there in his first game. Um, was really lively and I assume he'll get his second game this week. So if you are trying to downgrade in the forward line, I'm pretty sure he's listed as a forward, which would be a good option down there. Um, an interesting thing to consider with your rookies is, is who you're going to have on field here and who you want to cull at each time. And I think going back to those defenders, we're at a very interesting point at the moment because we mentioned all of these premiums that are going to drop in price, but we've also gotten a point of the season where these rookies and mid-price players are also potentially dropping in price. So I know sitting in my team at the moment, I've got uh, Brody Smith, who's sitting there at 400k. Uh, he's got 105 break even, uh, 115 break even now. We've got Hoare sitting there at 420k with a 105 break even, and uh, Dersma's break even's risen to 89. He's there at 385k. So we've got three sort of priced out players there that people might wanting to be moving on. Uh, they're one of those three that you think you need to move on faster than another. We know sort of Hoare's got that better price at the moment, but also. You know, you've got Smith with that highest break-even. Dursman's probably the least reliable scorer of the three. Who would you move on if you had to move one of them? Yeah, it's a good question. I've actually already moved on uh, Smith and Hoare. 
But it was mostly for buy reasons, just trying to make sure I had players on the field, you know, live bodies. Um, ideally, I would probably be looking at keeping Hall the longest, I think, just because it seems like Smith's role has changed quite a bit. Um, and we've seen that drop off in scoring. And that seems to be more of a consistent drop off due to the role change. Whereas Hall had that poor week last week, but it seemed like maybe he was just having to man up a bit more um, against the Lions this week. While I'm not necessarily expecting the D's to win, I think it should be a relatively competitive game and we might see him getting loose again as well. So I think he's probably got a bit more value than Smith at this stage. Um, Dersma, obviously, just being a rookie, people are going to be looking to upgrade him when they can. But between those other two, I think Smith actually represents a change of role and it's hard to see his scoring jumping back up. Yeah, I think a lot of these answers will come from how much money you have, um, which premiums you're targeting, and also how many trades you've got left. If you're someone with stacks of trades, I'd recommend just, you know, banking another downgrade, getting a heap of cash, and then making sure you can up each of these guys to the people you want. Um, if you're someone who's low on cash, you might be somebody you'll have to move on a whore first and then, you know, sort of work your way down to make sure you can get your appropriate upgrades and wait for some of these sort of top end talents to fall to do that final sort of a trade. Um, very interesting situation in the back line at the moment because, yeah, I don't know. I was, I was looking at my team and I've still got all three of these guys, which were going to be my last sort of three trade outs for my team. Um, but uh, yeah, I, I don't know which of these premiums I want to pull on. If I'm going to wait on Whitfield, then that leaves an extra one of these premiums that I'm going to have to pick up. Um, is Whitfield someone that you're going to try and get into your final lineup or do you think you're going to pass on him? Yeah, really good question. I was initially definitely planning on bringing him back in. So I did have him um, booted him for Lloyd when he went down injured. Um, and yeah, the plan was to get him back in, but now it seems like maybe it's not the best way. As we sort of just discussed before with his injury, a couple more weeks, I'm just not sure I'm going to have that luxury. Um, a bit strapped for cash and a bit strapped for trades. Um, so I think I might just give him a miss and jump on someone like a Stuart or Rory Laird and probably just hope for the best in that regard. Um, in terms of his scoring potential though, you know, he's clearly in the top three um, defenders, you know, him, Lloyd and Hearn. So I think people who have that luxury of being able to target him, um, yeah, I think you kind of have to almost if you if you have the opportunity. Otherwise, it's just got to hope that someone else like Laird can pick up the slack, but he's definitely in those top few. Um, although just looking at the uh, the list here now, it seems like Dane Rampey's jumped up quite a lot and it's gone unnoticed, um, at least on my end. Yeah, very interesting point there with Dane Rampey, he seems to be, yeah, scoring much higher than I've ever seen him score before, more consistently for a few weeks where he's been getting the points. Um, maybe he's stopped, you know, yelling at umpires and climbing posts and decided to just start focusing on his footy or something, but he's scoring fantastically. We're still seeing Lloyd score well. Like, I don't know if he's just taken some of these points away from Lloyd's ceiling and he's sort of risen a bit or, if their backline setup has has changed somewhat, so he's taking more of that rebounding role. But he's somebody who I don't really trust in my team. I mean, you can talk about going for points of difference, but for me, we've got so many of these much more safe players, like as you mentioned, your Daniel Riches and your your Stewarts, who are still in you know around seven to ten percent of teams, which is a point of difference enough where you probably don't need to go down to these, you know, zero percent owned players to to get that boost. Would you agree with that or 
do you think now's the time or year where you can sort of start going for these weird picks and and see if it pays off? Yeah, it depends on your team structure, where you're ranked, how you're looking, but if you if you sort of need that injection. But he's a very interesting one. Two point seven percent ownership. That means he's only in about five percent. Sorry, in about five thousand teams, um, which is minuscule compared to the rest of the the blokes at the top. So. Lloyd, 47%, Laird, 40%, uh, Williams, 23 Hawley and Hearn, about 17% each. So, yeah, someone at 2.7% ownership is a real point of difference. Um, you're paying a lot to jump on him now at 542. You might have missed the boat, but, you know, it's very tempting when you've got these sort of players putting up huge numbers. Just it is It is a bit hard to trust him with Lloyd in the team there, isn't it? Yeah, I think the other thing to keep in mind for people who are looking for point of difference players out there is sort of what you're wanting from them. If all you're wanting is you're playing for league or you want is like a random league final win, you don't think your team's as good as some of the teams at the top and you just want a different player where maybe in the week where you're matching up with someone, you know, he can outscore the person you're matching up on. It's better for you to have a different player and that's why you want a point of difference. These sort of players, you know, you can take a flyer on someone for that. When you're trying to rise the overall ranks, I think you've got to be really careful in who you pick here because you're not just banking on someone like Rampy matching, say, if you're getting him instead of a Luke Ryan. You're not only hoping that he matches the score over the season, you want him to beat him. And you've got to really talk yourself into the fact that you can see this player outscoring someone with Ryan's ceiling over the course of the year, which... When I get to someone like Rampy, I'm not so sure that I can consistently say that for 10 weeks I can see him outscoring these, you know, borderline top six players like your Riches and your, and your Stewarts over that period of time. So I'd be very careful. I'd also have a look at how many points you sort of need to make up to get to where you want to be in the overall rankings. Um, I had a bit of a look before we got on the podcast. So as I said, I'm sitting at about the 5,000 mark with um, about 29,800 points to my name. If you want to get to the number one spot, you're trying to make up over 1,400 points over those last 10 rounds. So you can already see that that's highly unlikely that you'll be able to make one of these picks from one player to another and sort of get that many points back. And then if you want to get to the top 100, you're talking about about 800 points you're trying to make up. To get into the top 1,000, it's about 400 points. So if you're trying to make up about 400 points, you might want to pick a couple of different players, you know, with a couple of you know, emergency or captain options, you can make up that sort of a sort of a value. But if you're thinking you can pick one of these players like Rampy and and jump up to that number one spot with, you know, one and a half thousand points, probably not going to happen. So you got to think about why you play and why you'd pick these point of difference uh, sort of players. Yeah, it's astounding how far ahead uh, some of those top sides are. It'd be interesting to look at how they went week to week because... I mean, I guess over the course of we've had about 15, 14, 15 rounds now, it's not, it's only 100 points per round, but yeah, they've got a big gap on some of us, don't they? And it begs the question of, you know, did they start their teams perfectly or have they burnt their trades? We don't know if some of these teams at the top pretty much have spent every single one of their trades from, you know, the start of season to now. And from here onwards, we're going to see all of our favorite premiums get injured and they're going to slowly drop down the ranks because they can't trade them into anyone. It's a possibility that that's going to happen. Um, something that we did during the week was to put on our Twitter page, you know, a few polls to see how many trades people have up to this point and also how many trades they think they'll have when their teams are complete. 
Um, and what we found was it was a pretty even split for the amount of trades that people have at the end of the buy rounds. Our options were less than six, seven to eight, nine or 10, or more than 11. And it was pretty much a 25% split between all of those votes in the end. Uh, slightly more in the less than six camp with 29%, but effectively what we got from this is if you're around the seven to 10 mark with trades at the moment, you're in the normal range. You know, if you're sitting there with one or two trades, you might be in a bit of trouble. And if you're sitting there with more than, you know, 12 trades, it's, it's time to start burning and seeing if you can use those to, to climb the ranks, Bill. Yeah, so I guess for people who do still have a lot of trades, they've got to have a few targets in mind, I guess. Maybe having a look at some of the players who'd be uh, right for trading in now. One that I sort of catches my mind because I traded him in this week is Lockie Neal, and he didn't really perform. I, I bought him in at about 570 knowing that he would drop a little bit more, but he's now put up a 79. So now sitting at 558 and continuing to drop, he's going to be a, a pretty good price in the coming weeks. But he's an interesting one, I think, worth a look at. Obviously, one of the highest averaging players over the season so far, but he seems to be getting tagged out of games a little more uh, recently. Yeah, he's somebody who, if you didn't have him up to this point and you've still got a couple of downgrades to make and a couple of upgrades to make, now that he's put a 79 in his system, two weeks' time is going to be so cheap that I would be picking, if you're still upgrading your defense, do that this week. Wait for Neil to get a couple of price jumps lower and just get him. For me, he is a lock top six. You know, I, th- I just think he's a fantastic scorer. I know he's had a couple of bad weeks, but I fully anticipate for him to go back to scoring those 140s and, and above. And for me, he'd be somebody that I'd clearly target after that low score in a couple of weeks. And yeah, I'd just be extremely happy if I could get him in that discounted price because I know I paid a pretty high dollar for him at you know the start of the year after he got a few price jumps up and you paid uh, a fair packet for him too and if you can get him on the cheap i'd still go for him even though as you said is he's not played the best is it is it just tagging out or is it i know zorko has lifted his scoring in the last few weeks is that having an impact as well yeah i think zorko's lifted his score because neil's getting a bit more attention sort of freeing up zorko a bit which i, I don't think the lions are necessarily too unhappy about but um, it definitely is affecting his scoring just to look at what you said, I think he'll reach a low of about 530, which is very tempting. But at the same, uh, you know, at the same time, it is pretty important to look at what he's been putting up recently. And over his last few weeks, um, going back to starting from round seven here, it's an arbitrary cutoff. But he's put up 108, 114, 148, 79, 114, 106, and 79. So. Only the one big score there with the 148. And apart from that, he's averaging, you know, I'm not really going to do the math straight away in my head, but it looks like about 100. So not really that super premium level uh, over those seven to eight weeks there. So it is almost getting to the point where I would consider holding off for a bit more just to see whether those scores come back up or whether you could get away with with someone else who's in good form at this stage. Yeah, I think that's a, a very good point for looking. That's not a small sample size. And because of his extremely high ownership, if you can get on someone at you know a similar price and similar scoring profile that's in better form, like I know Luke Parker's shot through the roof. He's having, I feel like it's every odd year that he scores you know an extremely high average for the competition, and you know 2019's an odd year, so we shouldn't be surprised that he's putting scores through the roof. Where maybe for all we know, Neil's carrying some sort of injury or he's having some sort of you know change in team dynamics there that's that's dropping his scores and a change to someone like Parker who's putting out you know 130s every week you know 
maybe that could be a trading option for you to look look somewhere else. But for me, you know, I still love Neil and his scoring, and I think he's a fantastic option for trading in. But if you're looking for a bargain basement price midfielder to trade in now, I think we've just got so many options at the moment where you'd almost rather save the cash and sort of bank it a bit because I know we've got Matt Crouch is in my team, but he's sitting there at like sub 500k at the moment. I'll just bring up his price now. He's at 484. That's a crazy price for somebody of Matt Crouch's ability. He's got that 102 average still um, down at 482. That That's a fantastic buy for mine. But the two players that have really caught my eye this week that I want to get your opinions on um, are Adam Trelaw, which we mentioned last week, and Rory Sloan, who we mentioned the week before. So Trelaw's at 502,000 and Sloan's at 511. And they're both just looking so cheap for me. So I'll read out a few yearly averages for these guys. Trelaw has averaged 110, 101, 111, 107 and 108 over the last five years and Sloan has averaged 97, 110, 108, 106 and 114. So he's at uber premiums for a long time bill and they're sitting there at $500,000. Is that just something we can't pass up at this point of upgrade season? Hmm. Yeah, it's it's easy to get tempted by them. I'm not too sold on Trelaw myself. Thought maybe we'd see a big spike in his scores uh, now with Beams going down injured but I mean, it sort of occurred, but not really. He's still sitting there with a three-round average of 96. Um, I would hate having him on my side, to be honest, just because you watch him and you think he's going to score really well because he's got 40 touches. But, you know, he turns half of them over, and that's a real problem. Um, just, yeah, it seems he does go huge every now and then, but it does seem to cap his scoring for the most part. So out of those two, I'd be more tempted to jump on Rory Sloan, who has put up a pretty decent five-round average of 105, um, similar ownership, and just seems to have that, um, you know, high scoring potential. He's got a few low scores here and there, but when he gets off the chain, he really seems to score a bit more consistently. But I'd almost be tempted to spend a little more cash because there's a few names that I've seen in the top sort of 10 over the last five rounds. Um, Mitch Duncan, Elliot Yeo, and uh, like we already said, Luke Parker. Um, yeah, they're all sitting up. Uh, Luke Parker sort of priced himself out of our range, but Mitch Duncan and Elliot Yeo are two to three percent owned um, and averaging 119 and 116 across their last five games which is you know top six potential uh, top eight potential sorry in the midfield which is you know it, that's what you want at the end of the year and I do think it is time to start putting a bit more stock into who is a bit of a point of difference because there's no way to catch up by picking the players that everyone has obviously yeah very interesting players that you've outlined there um, interesting because it's hard to weigh up. Do you take someone like Yeo's five-round average, which is extremely high, and say that he's got the potential to be top six? Or do you look like at someone like Sloan, who if you take out his injury game on averages, he is already top six on the season? You've got to figure out whether it's the you know year-long form that you, you trust more, that you think Sloan can just continue the numbers that he's had for a long period of time, or if you think you know, this most recent form will carry to the rest of the year because all it does count is the remainder of the season and what people score over there. So for all we know, you know, there's some player that, you know, just comes out of the blue at, you know, 400 or 500 or 600,000. Price doesn't matter too much when it gets closer towards the end of the season. And I think something that we'll talk about in the coming weeks is that the closer we get to the end of the year, 
the probably the more safe it is to take a risk on these uh, lowly owned players because instead of needing somebody to outscore another premium for 10 weeks, you only need them to outscore them for five weeks or three weeks. Or if you're left with luxury trades at the end of the year, you know, you might only be trading in somebody for a few weeks that they have a good draw and that sort of plays into their ability to, to score big over the upcoming weeks. So all these players are interesting. I don't think I can pay 625 for Parker. You know, it's getting up towards that um, Josh Kelly zone where he's somebody that I still don't have in my team. And if I'm pushing that top dollar, I'm going to get the best player and the player who I can see being, you know, the number one midfielder potentially paying all the way to the top. Otherwise, I'll be going all the way to the bottom and, you know, picking up a Sloan or a, or a Trelaw or these types around that mark where they could still make that top range, but they're cheap. All these players in the middle, you know, I'm not so sure how worth it it is because I'm not getting bargain basement and I'm not getting a lock for the top. So I don't know it's a balance, isn't it? Yeah, definitely a balance. I think if you don't have Josh Kelly, probably he's still sort of a point of difference. He's only 15% owned. So I think he's another one to look at. But yeah, I'm mean, sort of repeating myself here, but I do think it's worth having a real close look at who's um, got what sort of ownership percentage because... It can not only is it obviously a good idea if you manage to pick the right one in terms of shooting up those rankings, but it's also a bit of fun to have someone that you know, um, you know, isn't really in a lot of teams because you know if Fife's putting up huge numbers or if Grundy's putting up huge numbers, it's you know it's hard to actually care about that when you see them playing because you know that that's not really helping your side necessarily. Whereas, um, yeah, a point of difference is a lot more fun to watch because when they're doing well, you know that that's uh, really going to shoot you up those rankings. Speaking of these these top-line players and the ones we'll keep and the ones we won't, maybe we'll do an exercise now where we can look at our teams and sort of look at each line and sort of say which of those big dogs that we don't have in our team at the moment and which ones we're really wanting to get in and which ones that, as you said, you might pass on for some other options. So starting down back, looking at my team, as I said, I've still got three of those boys who are probably not keepers in my team. Uh, Hearn's probably the one big guy that I'm still waiting to get in where I haven't gotten on him yet and hopefully once his price drops in one or two weeks I can bring him in he's probably the one that I'm still waiting on Uh, the other big guys I don't really have is that sort of you know of course Whitfield but also Ryan uh, Laird I don't have Stewart um, these sort of players uh, bubbling around there Rich sort of are the players that I don't have uh, but I think of all the players that I've listed, Hearn is the one that I'm still chasing. The other ones I'm quite happy to, you know, pick and choose and not have one or the other. But for me, the player I don't have in the defense is, is Shannon Hearn, which I'll be trying to get in over the uh, next few weeks. How's your defense lining up? Yeah, mine's, it looks pretty nice. Um, I have Hearn and Lloyd. I got Ryan. So that looks, that looks pretty tasty in the back line there. Um, I think I'll probably be bringing in either Laird or Stewart this week, what we discussed before about not really wanting to wait around for Whitfield. I think I'm going to um, pull the trigger on one of those two to, to finish off the six. So I guess really missing, obviously, Whitfield and then uh, probably Hooley and Williams to round out that top six are the ones that I'm missing. And, yeah, definitely um, pretty annoyed about Williams because he was in my side and I, I thought he was going to do that infamous GWS, you know, miss... Well, do what Whitfield is doing now, you know, miss a lot of games when he wasn't supposed to. But unfortunately, uh, yeah, he's just come straight back in and doesn't look like he's letting up. I think he's the fourth highest um, on five-round average at the moment. So, yeah, Williams is a big uh, a big one that I think people should be looking at as well. 
Moving on to the middle, I think Josh Kelly is the main one that I'm looking at my team and being like, I don't have Josh Kelly there. I've sort of played around with the idea of, you know, getting another downgrade and spending my whole kitty to go up to him with my last mid upgrade. But I think instead I'm going to settle for one of these players we were talking about before, you know, your, your Sloans, your Trelaws, Merits, you know, Bonts, the people around that cheaper price, just because I've only got nine trades left before this week's trades and sort of I'm running low on money that I might even have to pass on a $650,000 Kelly just because, you know, the amount of trades it would take me to get there. Do you think that's, you know, the right response here? Or should I be burning all my trades to get up to somebody with Josh Kelly's sort of scoring caliber? Yeah, really tough one. Um, you might have missed the boat. I mean, I think a lot of people probably have missed the boat because he doesn't look like he's going to drop. Obviously, he puts in one bad score and, you know, he's back in in play in that regard. But at the moment, yeah, it probably just doesn't seem like it's worth the trades unless you really have them to burn or you have a lot of cash um, floating. But he probably priced himself out of most teams, I think, unless he has a poor game. And he's playing the Thursday night game this week against Essendon. You'd expect he probably goes pretty big there as well. Yeah, I think it's one of those things where if I, if I was sitting there with 12 trades or something, I'd be burning those double trades to make sure I got up to the number one options because I want them in my team for the rest of the year. But when I'm sitting there with, you know, feeling like I'm going to end my team with around the three or four trademark, that gets to a bit of a dicey situation where I don't really think it's worth burning too many more trades to get up to try and find some players that are a bit cheaper that I think can close that gap in scoring. How's your midfield looking? Is it is it relatively settled at the moment? Yeah, I think it is. I think um, I was most of the year I was planning on upgrading Brad Crouch and potentially Matt, but at least Brad seems to have hit a, a rich vein of form. So I'm going to leave them for now. Um, they're D D seven and D eight for me at the moment. So obviously, you know, in a, in an ideal world, they'd get upgraded, but I'm not too unhappy with them on the field, and I think I'll leave it. I have most of the big names, Kelly, Fife, McRae, Cripps, Neil. So uh, obviously it would be nice to have someone like Bont or Parker in those last spots. But yeah, probably no more upgrades in the middle for me, I think. Move on to the Ruckman. And last week I pulled the trigger to get in Big Max Gorn to make the Gorn-Grundy combo. So that's set for me. I was a bit worried at three-quarter time when my trade-in of Gorn that cost me all my money was sitting there at 69 at three-quarter time. But he pulled out an 82-point last quarter, ended on 151. I thought he was finally going to hit that point where he wouldn't hit his break-even and he'd start to drop for coaches. But bang, he went out in the last quarter and said, no, nah, I'm still you know, one of the best players in the Supercoach game and came out with a 150-plus there, Bill. Yeah, I was absolutely licking my lips at that three-quarter time score because he's on my radar a few weeks from now. Um, obviously still running Riley O'Brien so yeah that looked like it was all gonna stars were gonna align for me but as you mentioned came out in that last quarter and just put on the clinic so a little bit disappointing he does have the lines this week um, a lot of rucks don't seem to seem to go too well against the Steph Barton Oscar McInerney combo so we might see him down a little bit this week but obviously he'll probably still turn up and, and keep his price pretty high it is it is quite annoying that you know I'm gonna have waited all this time you, you as well waited all this time um, you know trying to pull off that ruck upgrade strategy instead of the set and forget and we're going to pay more for him than you would have initially yeah. so definitely the uh the set and forget was the way to go and we'll probably learn our lesson for that next year 
At least we both pulled out the Brody Grundy captain last week. We put it out on our Twitter as well, as well as saying it on the pod that he was our lock and load captain for the week. And he pulled out a 174 against the Bulldogs. I think that was the easiest captain choice of the year and some of the uh, reasons why we both put up good scores last week. It's sort of getting to the point where we almost run Grundy and Gorn, the other one as vice and one as captain every week if you got the two now because I think I saw some stat during the week that combined the lowest that one of them scored in each round was like 134 or something so either way you're getting a a cracking captain score if you ran you know one into the other all year so it's just a crazy feat that these guys are both going 130 on the averages and yeah I expect them to continue for the rest of the year yeah I think that makes sense and just another reason why why set and forget was was the way to go uh, this year and, and probably next year as well I guess we'll move to the forward line. Um, I think everyone's got pretty similar players up here, but I guess the one that stands out for me is uh, Heaney at F6, not really pulling his weight, but on the other hand, not really sure I'll get to upgrade him um, at any stage. And he does have Gold Coast this week, so hopefully a big score there. But yeah, Heaney at F6, probably the main odd man out. Uh, The rest of my side looking pretty good. Dunkley, Dangerfield, Boke, Kelly, and Daniel all pulling their weight. Yeah, I've got a very similar lineup to you. I've just got Billings in that uh, Daniel spot. So I'm running that Heaney and Billings instead of, you know, what I'd like to have as the Daniel and uh, maybe even swapping Billings for that Rowan Marshall uh, pick there. He's looking like he'll continue with the top, top six scoring all year as long as he um, stays in that ruck role. He seems to be putting out about 100 every week by getting around the ground and getting a few marks and tackles and possessions. Seems to just get un- enough of the taps to get a little bit of a boost and, and does it all around the ground. So he is somebody that I- I'd sort of like in my team, but Looking at Billings and Marshall, you know, it's, it's much of a muchness there. I'm not too dishappy with that, but Caleb Daniels scoring at will, and um, he's somebody that I'll probably have to miss because my forward line's relatively done. Um, he's just a fantastic uh, sort of position shift this year where if you picked it at the start of the year, you know, kudos to you. Um, definitely was a draft player that we both had our eye on and we both have in some of our leagues, but um, definitely overlooked in regular, I think. Uh, starting the season at way too low of an ownership for somebody who in the preseason and at the end of last year showed what he could do as scoring potential yeah just to touch on your Marshall comments I guess probably one of the other lessons I mean if the, if the main lesson probably we'll talk about this obviously the end of the year with what we've learned for the season what's taken in next year but you know to go early on it I mean apart from set and forget in the rucks we've learned obviously is very valuable but picking those those rucks who look like they're going to play and young rucks who are coming in and and generally you know i think he plays quite similar to riley o'brien and they're very fit they get around the ground really well they move really well and they get the ball at ground level um and not really relying on those taps so him and riley o'brien you know it's just showing you that it's really important i think to jump on rucks who look like they're going to have a lot of uh, exposure in the seniors and a lot of time whether that's from injury to sam jacobs for riley o'brien or um, just assuming that number one ruck mantle is seemingly the best ruck option at St. Kilda now for Marshall. Um, you know, they're two that if you jumped on, they've, they would have improved your team immensely. So playing attention to which rucks around the, uh, around the grounds might actually be close to retirement and whose their understudies are is probably something to pay attention to in the preseason. 
Yeah, it's very funny because with our um, Supercoach model team where we picked it using the statistical algorithm that was looking for players that would score above their price range, so p- players that were cheap, we sort of locked and loaded um, the Ruckman in there because we thought that um, the players you know, picking out of that position for value for money wasn't worth these these premium rucks that that would just continue to score these high numbers which for locking Grundy into that team has worked so far but when we locked Goldie into R2 in that team what we probably should have thought about is this sort of a, a theory where these young rucks these any number one ruck with the potential to score around the ground can sort of match those other old boys that are scoring those 90s. So Marshall's shown that, Rob's shown that, where you can get that cheaper player who's still ruck one to just sort of match those known quantities in a lot of these ruckmen scoring. The flip side of that is the model sort of like Tim English and Sean Darcy on exposed form to be those cheaper rucks and if it picked those that wouldn't have paid off, but... If we had, you know, Riley O'Brien and Marshall as rocks from the start of the year, that would have paid off. So you have to do your research very closely on these players and their ability to score over a whole season. Um, I don't think anyone could have picked Marshall doing this from the start of the year. Uh, he was, you know, it was very surprising for people to see him come in and hold that number one rock spot for so long, potentially helped by injuries because both Longer and uh, Pierce are on that long-term injury list for St Kilda now, but at the same time, it really, as you said, is a, is a really good exercise for people to have a look at a few different options for you know starting your lineups differently. And and Rob's been fantastic for those people that have put him as you did at R two when he came into the side. So I guess uh, we'll look at maybe trades for the week. Um, we're obviously, as we mentioned, through the buys and. People are trying to complete teams or, or get very close. Um, we've sort of run through the options already, but do you have specific trades in mind this week? Yeah, so my last players to trade out, I mentioned the three down back, the Smith, Hoare, and Dersma. I've also still got Walsh up forward. So I was going to pull the trigger on Walsh up to, uh, as I brought up, either Sloan, who's one of my favorites, and also Trelaw, I actually quite like. Um, I like the look of him in that team, putting up a 117 without beams. Um, a bit of a different look to my side that already has a few Crows players in it. Um, I might look at one of those two as a cheap upgrade, and that'll let me use the cash to double up this week, which will be fantastic. Um, really struggling on the defensive line because of the different prices of those three players to upgrade. So I can either upgrade Smith to someone of Stewart's price. If I go Dersma, I've got to go for Daniel Rich. And if I go Marty Hoare, I can go all the way up to Ryan. So probably at the moment, I'm thinking I'll go Hoare to Ryan just because he's the probably best premium that I think I can get into my team. Um, even though I really want to move Smith out. So Smith to Stewart is tempting. Um, that name of Ryan is probably at the moment the one that I'm I'm going to bring in. Yeah, obviously really interesting um, to play off who you can get and, and what it's going to cost you. And I'm sort of in a similar position. I think I want to get in Griffin Logue, but I'm not sure whether I will. Uh, at the moment, I've gone to pull in Logue and Laird, um, but that'll cost me a sort of a sideways trade from Rotham um, just to get... That only makes you know $13,000, but it's turning him into a a playable D7 in Logue, who I'd be obviously very happy to cover a spot on field if he could keep averaging what he is. So 
looking at that at the moment and that would allow me to bring in Rory Laird uh, for Dersma. Um, there are other trades that I could do, including uh, skipping on Logan and downgrading a midfielder such as Answorth or Baker uh, to Hind and that would give me the same sort of result but with an extra 100k in the bank. So that's obviously very tempting as well. I'm probably going to have to wait to see how teams drop and see whether, for example, Nash is named and things like that. But I'm going to be looking to fill that last defender spot, um, probably with Rory Laird, potentially with uh, Tom Stewart, I think, one of the two. And for captains for the week, uh, we'll talk a little bit about advice, captains and captains. I can't say I've done too much research as of yet, but as with every week, we'll put out on the Twitter later in the week some stats behind our choices for our captains and vice captains. Uh, off first look, uh, Dangerfield on the Friday night against the Adelaide Crows. He always seems to turn up against his old side there. I really like that as an early vice-captain choice for people. Uh, in terms of captaincy, um, Grundy against Goldstein is okay. I think that's the better option. As you said, Ruckman against the Lions don't seem to do too well, so I'd probably look at Grundy instead of Gorn. Um, Fife against Carlton late on the Sunday is also looking quite tempting for me. I think you've got options here. I think um, on the Saturday as well, you've got Jake Lloyd up against the Gold Coast Suns. Um, Ball might not be down there a heap, but he does seem to just get amongst it regardless. So probably put up a big score there. In a, you'd imagine a pretty big win. Uh, and then I think I'm probably personally going to have the vice captain on the Thursday night game just because it's early and you know like to watch you play as, as soon as possible. I think I'll throw it on uh, Kelly and, and see what he can do against Essendon. I think that's a fantastic option. I think if I had a premium like Kelly, who is not as highly owned as some of my other premiums, I'd, you know, it's a great opportunity to take that early game for, uh, you know, sort of doubling up on that premium point of difference where not only you have a premium that a lot of people haven't been able to afford, but you can double up if he scores huge and get that captain boost as well. So I think that's a really good option. I think uh, there is another option as well. And that is uh, throwing the vice-captain once again on Riley O'Brien. Uh, hear me out here. He is coming up against Geelong. Uh, Lysette just put up a big score against him. I think he put up 170-odd. So it is possible. We might see a, a repeat of Riley O'Brien's efforts against Richmond and uh, you know how sweet it would be if I threw it on Riley O'Brien again only to have him put out a 170, 180. Yeah, I just throw off in my mouth a little bit. I'm still kicking myself for missing the Riley O'Brien and his 181. Um, Zach Merritt playing against GWS on the Thursday night without Matt DeBoer is also something you should mention. I don't know if they'll try and run a second tagger. I don't know if Haightley will come back into this team. We didn't really touch on that, but this is the first week without DeBoer where there'll be another midfield spot up for grabs, so I wouldn't be surprised to see Haightley come into that team or potentially somebody else who they think they can tag with. So a bit of risk and reward there if they're not running a tagger. And you do have Zach Merritt. He could be another option on the Thursday night. Yeah, so it does seem like there's a pretty good spread this week and no real clear standout um, with the two rucks up against decent ruckmen and yeah, just probably a, a good chance to take a uh, take a chance on someone with low ownership. I think that's probably a good idea this week. So as we said, we're coming into the final 10 rounds now. So as yeah, over the next few weeks, we'll probably be putting out some different uh, pods than what we normally do rather than looking at the uh, sort of upgrade targets like we have in most weeks and, and the bubble boys and all this sort of talk. We might move a bit more into 
um, sort of a bit of an analysis on when the time to pull um, certain trades off will be. As we mentioned later in the year, when you're trying to trade um, for players who will be higher points of difference to get that sort of maximum um, ability for them to outscore other players, we'll talk about that. We'll also start talking about emergency loopholing our premiums and getting in players as our F7s, D7s, and uh, M9, so extra premiums on our benches that we can loophole in, and all of these other factors that we'll start to to become more important as we as we close out the year yeah so lots to come up and uh now that we're through the buy round smooth sailing from here hopefully for the rest of the season so we'll see you next week on the science of footy podcast <laughs> <laughs>